Bakersoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. The Thorn in the Nest, Episode 25 Never since early boyhood had Clennon borne in his bosom so light and glad a heart as that with which he left Old Town upon the close of his interview with Reuma Clark. One thought that there was now no barrier between him and his sweet and beautiful Nell, unless indeed she herself had created one, filled him with a joy and thankfulness beyond the power of words to express. But an enemy lay in wait to rob him of it. Littleton, closely watching Clendenin, had noticed that he tarried behind in the Indian camp while others were leaving it, but carefully abstaining from any allusion to the fact. He conducted the young lady whose escort he was to her home, then leaving the town by the opposite side, made a circuit through the woods that brought him back to a hill overlooking the trail to Old Town, ascending which he waited and watched for Kenneth's return. Very impatient he grew toward the last, but not to be balked of his prey by hunger or weariness, he remained at his post of observation until his eyes were gladdened by the sight of the manly form of Clendenin, mounted on his gallant steed and following the trail at a brisk canter that was bringing him rapidly nearer. Littleton now hastily descended the hill galloped across a bit of prairie and struck into the trail just in time to meet the man whom he cordially hated in his heart while he in outward seeming he was the warmest friend so here you are at last doctor he said with a genial smile i declare i was actually growing uneasy about you how so returned kenneth in surprise it is nothing unusual for me to be out scaring the country at any or all hours of the day and night. Yes, but among the savages, you know. I saw that you lingered behind as the rest of us set out on our return to the town, and I thought it not at all impossible that the wild creatures might be moved to do you a mischief. He looked keenly at Kenneth as he spoke, thinking to read in his countenance how his errand had sped. He had never seen it half so bright and joyous. Ah, he has won, he said to himself, with a pang of mingled disappointment and envy. He has learned all, and it is in his favor. He shan't have her, too, if I can prevent it. You seem to have had a pleasant time, he said aloud. I think I never saw you look quite so cheery. Kenneth only smiled. He felt so free and happy, as light and joyous as a bird on the wing. I congratulate you on your good luck, whatever it may have been, continued Littleton, still eyeing him curiously, and I must ask a return in kind from you, for I too have been made a happy, yes, the very happiest of men today. Clendenin turned upon him a startled, questioning look, his very lips growing white. He tried to speak, but could not find his voice. Yes, Littleton went on with a cruel delight in the pain he saw he was giving. I am sure you will think so when I tell you that Miss Lamar is my promised wife, and I shall soon be the husband of the finest woman in America. 
Kenneth answered not a word. The blow was so sudden, so terrible, so stunning. For it never occurred to him that those words which sounded the death knell of his fondest hopes were a falsehood. And ah, he had thought it impossible that Nell could ever give herself to one so utterly devoid of noble qualities as this, as this stranger who was now boasting of having won her. Littleton perceived with savage exaltation how he had wrung the heart of the man whom he hated, hated all the more bitterly because he owed him his life, and because of his own ill desert as a trifler with sweet Marian's affections, whose sworn foe he was even before leaving England for America. His very errand to this country being one of wrong to him, an errand which he now foresaw was likely to miscarry through the information gleaned from the white squall of the Shawnee Brave. They were passing a farmhouse. Someone standing at its gate held the doctor, and with a slight parting inclination of the head to Littleton, Kenneth turned aside and obeyed the call. The sun was touching the top of the hill which bounds Chillicothe on the west. As he resumed his homeward way, a different man from the one who had left Old Town so full of joy and glad anticipation, the very drooping of his figure as he moved slowly along with the bridle lying loosely upon Romeo's neck spoke of utter dejection. What was life worth without his love, his darling? Oh, why had not this knowledge come to him a little sooner, this that unsealed his lips? Why had he not yielded to his impulse that stormy night as they stood alone together by the fire and poured out the story of his love? How much wiser and kinder to have done it, even though he had to tell her, too, that an impassable barrier stood between them. He could see it so plainly now, but then his eyes were blinded. And she, how could he blame her if her love had at last turned to aversion and she had given herself to another? But alas, alas, how ill she had chosen, a man devoid of principle and utterly selfish. For so far had Kenneth succeeded in reading Littleton's true character. But these were vain regrets. He must school himself to bear bravely his grief and disappointment. Trouble did not spring out of the ground, and the loving father above never sent to his children one unneeded pang. And was life indeed all dark to him? Was it nothing that a terrible dread had been taken away? That he had reason, intellect, education, health, and strength, that God had given him skill to relieve pain and suffering. Ah, his mercies were far beyond, and life could not be a desolate waste while power was granted him to minister to the comfort and happiness of others, and while there remained to him not only the love of the two dear ones at Glen Forest, but also the sweeter, dearer love of him who saith to his children, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. The precious comforting words came to him almost as if spoken by an audible voice, and were as balm and healing to his wounded soul. There were business matters claiming his immediate attention, and he now resolutely turned his thoughts upon them. He decided upon an early visit to his old home. He must see her, whom he had always called mother, 
but who, as he had learned from Reuma Clark, was in reality his sister, sweet Marian, too. Ah, she must never know that he was less nearly related to her than she fondly believed. It would but give her unnecessary pain. But first of all, steps should be taken to get Reuma Clark's evidence in a form that would make it available legal proof of his identity, for there was much dependent upon that. On reaching the town, he at once sought Godfrey Dale, and they were closeted together for an hour or more. In this interview, Dale learned what had been his friend's secret grief, that it had in a measure passed away with the knowledge of his true parentage though it was sorrow of heart to him that it proved the tie of kinship with the dear ones at home less close than he had once believed, and the importance for certain grave reasons of his being able to bring forward indisputable proof of his identity. Dale understood the management of the business, the first step in which was to get the woman into the town and have her deposition taken before a magistrate. It was probable that she would come in the next morning of her own accord, in order to receive the money for which she held Clendenin's note. If she did not, Dale was to go in search of her. It is to be hoped that secret foe of yours will not get a hold of her again in the meantime, he remarked. Who can he be? I know of no one who has caused enmity towards you, unless, indeed, as a rival in the good graces of a certain fair damsel, he added jocosely. And why, Kenneth, man, that would be Littleton. And he's mean enough to serve you such a scurvy trick, too. But then, on second thought, how would he know anything about the woman or your interest in her? No, I confess I am nonplussed. Besides, said Kenneth sadly, he tells me he is a successful rival, so he might well afford to refrain from any interference with my welfare. He successful with Miss Snell, cried Dale with scornful incredulity. Don't you believe it? And yet, with a sudden change of tone, women are strange, unaccountable creatures. And it is possible her seeming contempt and dislike were only assumed to hide her real feelings. Hey ho, I really thought your chances better than mine, those last by no means so poor as Littleton's. A party of the merchants of the town were to start three days from this time for the east to buy goods. Their custom was to go in companies. As a great portion of the country being still in wild state, much of it was covered with immense forests containing but a few widely scattered dwellings. They must perforce carry a good deal of money with them, and it was unsafe for one to travel alone. Kenneth had announced his intention to join this party, but the evening's mail brought a letter from Glen Forest, which so filled him with anxiety and alarm, made his presence at home so urgently necessary that he at once decided to risk going with no companion but Zeb, and to set off at dawn of the coming day, leaving to Dale the whole care and responsibility of getting Reuma Clark's evidence into proper shape. Dale used every argument and persuasion to induce his friend to wait for company. Two days, he thought, would make so little difference, and the risk to a solitary traveler was so great, but all to no purpose. Clendenin would hardly stay to hear him out. There was so much to be attended to in the few hours that remained before he should leave for an absence that might extend to months. Several patients must be visited and recommended to the charge of a brother physician. Some purchases made, 
and some friends called upon for a word of farewell. It would seem a strange, unkind, ungrateful thing to go without saying goodbye to Major Lamar and his family, who had always made him so entirely one of themselves. And now, ah, he could not, would not go away without learning from her own lips if Littleton's story was true, were true. And if it were not, but ah, he dare not think any further. His heart beat almost audibly as he opened the gate and hurried up the path to the house. The bright moonlight showed him the Major sitting alone in the porch. Ah, good evening, doctor, he said, rising to shake hands and set a chair for his guest. I am especially glad to see you tonight, as I am just in the mood for a friendly chat. Thank you, Major, but I am in unusual haste, Kenneth answered. Can I see the ladies? Sorry to say I cannot give you that pleasure tonight, Doctor, was the laughing reply. Mrs. Lamar has gone to bed, tarred out with the exertion and excitement of the day. And Nell is not at home, won't be for a week or two at least. Has gone home with a friend living fifteen miles from town. Kenneth almost staggered under the blow. Then a wild impulse seized him to follow her and know his fate from his, her own mouth, though it would delay his journey for one day, if not for two, but recalling some words of the letter just received, words that made him feel that every moment's delay on his part was hazardous to sweet Marion, he put it from him with heroic self-denial, briefly explained his errand, parried some remonstrances such as Dell had already wasted upon him, and with a cordial parting shake of the hand and a farewell message for the family, turned and went away. Littleton's heart that afternoon was like a cage of unclean birds, full of malice, envy, anger, and hate. Kenneth having left him in answer to the summons to the farmhouse, he pursued his way to the town, muttering imprecations upon the head of his late companion, and mentally resolving schemes for his injury. Is he to have all and I none? Would that fate were but kind enough to remove him out of my path? Do it yourself, it seemed an almost audible suggestion. He started and glanced around with a shudder, half expecting to see the tempter. No, no, I'm not so bad as that, he answered aloud. I could never stain my hands with blood. But if the Indians should slay him in the woods, as they did Captain Harrod, or if his horse should happen to stumble and he fall and break his neck, well, it would not grieve me very deeply. Ha ha! I suppose the girl wouldn't have me even then, he continued with a gloomy scowl. But I'd have undisturbed possession of... But nonsense. I must deal with things as they are. He continued his cogitations, but had not very succeeded in arranging any definite plan when he arrived at his lodgings and dismounting, giving his horse in charge to hands. However, the knowledge casually gained in the course of the evening of Kenneth's intended departure early the next morning for the east, and with no companion but his servant, brought a sudden suggestion to his mind which filled him with fiendish delight. A letter from England, like Clendenin's received by that evening's mail, furnished a plausible pretext. Hans was summoned and given orders to make everything ready to leave Chillicothe at once. "'Dish night, Miner?' queried the man in astonishment. "'Yes, this night. There's a moon, and we can travel by her light. I have news from England, and must return thither with all speed.' "'The horses be not strong enough to go day and night, Miner,' remarked Hans, scratching his head and looking not over-pleased, for he was loath to lose his night's rest. "'That's my affair. You have nothing to do but obey orders,' was the haughty rejoinder." 
Littleton knew that Nell was out of town, and now was glad that it had so happened as he did not care to meet her again, yet felt that it would not look well for him to leave the place without a parting call on the family. He met Clendenin coming away, passed him with a cold bow, and joined the Major, who was still on the porch, its so occupant as before. "'What, you too, sir?' he exclaimed, when Littleton had explained the object of his call. "'The doctor was in but now to say that he leaves unexpectedly in the early morning. "'But it seems that you are making even greater haste to forsake us. "'Coming back again, I hope?' "'Doubtful, my good sir. "'And I must leave my adieu to the ladies with you, "'regretting deeply that I could not deliver them in person,' Littleton said, "'lying with a gladness that was the result of long practice.' He tarried but a few moments, and again the Major was left to his solitary thoughts, which now ran upon the question whether Nell had aught to do with the sudden migration of these two admirers of hers. He could not tell, for the girl had kept her own counsel in regard to her feelings toward them, and Littleton's offer of the previous day. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic. Music